Hi, I'm Paul, and this is Arconnect Sessions. I'm here with uh, my co-host, Ken and Donna. How are you guys doing? Hanging in there. That's my standard answer these days. Hanging in there. That seems to be the theme for 2020 so far. <laughs> for those of us that are hanging in there, you know, we're, we're lucky to be hanging in there. Ken, how are you doing? Thriving. Oh, yay. That's so nice Thriving. to hear. Yeah. No. All right. No, High I, five. I, I think... Um, I was just posting some images of my uh, workspace because I got some lilacs in here, and and one of our um, one of our guests on the podcast, Fred Sharman, was asking me if I'm working at home exclusively, and I'm like, yes, I am. <laughs> and you're happy. You're enjoying your new job. Yeah, safety and sanity is um, is paramount, and um, it, it's still weird. You know, I'm sure you you're all experiencing the same thing that. For the most part, you're in the house most of the day, and then you go outside, and it still just feels weird. I, I have not gotten past that weirdness yet. Yeah. Actually, Paul, are you recording from your house or from the Arconnect uh, headquarters? I have actually been working out of yeah. the office okay. every day for the last last couple of weeks because I'm. everyone else is working right. at home. And... Uh, you know, my, both my kids are doing homeschooling right now, remotely, you know, remote schooling, like every other kid in the yeah. world, basically. <laughs> and, and, uh, it's a lot of noise and activity. So it's, uh, you know, Hey, we're, we're still paying rent, so we might as well yeah. take advantage. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, so I'm looking forward to sharing these next three episodes. Uh, for, for those of you listeners out there that have been keeping up, uh, you'll know that this is the third installment of our six-part series of conversations with members of the architecture community. We've been touching base and checking up with with uh, architects and designers and, and uh, related individuals in the field to see how they're doing. Uh, this is an unprecedented, challenging time for everybody architects not at all excluded from that so we we just we're we're wanting to see how everybody's doing to try to kind of capture the uh check the pulse of the industry so uh first up today we're going to be sharing a conversation with nikolai kruger she is an architect and illustrator based out of portland oregon and she uh had this conversation with ken let's take a listen to that now so i'm nikolai kruger i'm an architect based in Portland, Oregon, and have about 16 years of experience. Most of that has been with larger firms working on big projects. And the longest stretch, I was with Pelly Clark Pelly in Japan for nine years. And I moved back to Portland, my hometown, in 2015 and tried out some smaller scale firms. And then last year, uh, early of tw early 2019, I decided to go out on my own and start my own architectural illustration business, Nikolai Kruger Studio. And so I, was, I have been doing that for the past year, and it was a huge pivot for me from from working on large scale, uh, com mostly commercial projects. I had some commissions when I left, and I left my previous firm amicably, and so I had, you know, things commissions keeping me busy. But after a year of it, I started missing being in practice. And so it was almost like a, like a sabbatical or something, an experience to be on my own. But man, running your own studio, that is hard. <laughs> a lot of, probably plenty of your listeners know that. And I just think I just had to find out on my own. So at the end of last year, totally before COVID was on anybody's radar, I started approaching firms in Portland and got, you know, some really good responses and ended up getting an amazing offer with a great firm in town. And I was supposed to start mid-March, March 17th was supposed to be my start date. And a few days before that, they called me and said, this pandemic thing, we're not really sure you know, what that's going to look like for our firm. So can we push your start date out a couple of weeks? And of course, I was totally understanding. And so I said, no problem. And then a couple of weeks later, same thing. And then the last time I spoke with them, they said, we still really want to bring you on board, but we have to put your offer on hold indefinitely. We'll get back to you. So I totally understand firms in my town are laying people off or furloughing big chunks of their their staff. So uh, in the meantime... I'm just staying at home like like everybody else. Wow. Yeah. I'm looking at your website and and you have a very lovely style um in your oh, well, thank uh, you. illustrations. They're so wonderful. 
you know what's great about them is that they, you know, in the age of, I really hate renderings. I mean, I love them and I hate them. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, they're great because you can really, wow, they're slick, they're polished. But then I... I look at I look at your 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 wonderful drawings and they're so easily uh, convey the idea, get the point across, and they're accessible. Oh, thank you so much! I appreciate that. That is exactly what I endeavor to do. Um, I mean, I'm not going to lie. A lot of those I use SketchUp to establish the wireframe. Oh, absolutely. Or I, when I'm working with working with my colleagues or with consult you know consultants, we'll decide the angles together. And but it, it can be just a really rough, quick and dirty wireframe. And then I do the loose sketch over that. And like you said, accessible. I think you know, especially when your client might be like a steering committee made up of campus librarians or something, you know, they're not used to seeing super slick renderings. And then even when developer clients who are used to seeing slick renderings, it's a little oversaturated, right? Like, yeah, I've seen it all before. (laughs) So I I try to like not give it all away in a sketch. Like there's still room to, they're really good at the beginning of a process where there's still decisions to be made and we haven't committed to stone or brick or tile or, yeah. Yeah, you know, what, what's so great about them is that it captures the feeling of the space without committing. What I always get pissed, frustrated by as an architect, because I'm a practitioner as well, is that people get committed to the rendering. And when they put it next to the thing that's built, they go, why doesn't it look like the rendering? I paid for Absolutely. the rendering. I didn't pay for this. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so I'm pleased to hear that you're looking at those because to be honest, I struggled to find a firm where I could slide in as an architect with as much experience as I have. I was told more than one place, well, you have a really nice hand, but we don't really need people that have a nice hand. We need people to do production or we need people who can do a really nice door schedule or wall assembly sheets or something. <laughs> so I can do all of those things, but it's not where I find my joy in practice. And then that was I, kind of what drove me to jump out. <laughs> no, I look at your, I look at your, I look at your, um, your drawings here. And I think you would be a great advocate for communities of, you know, that need to have ideas put in front of an architect and you can mm-hmm. interpret what they're telling you and put this to a drawing and have it represent them instead of mm-hmm. the thing that represents this, all this talent of the design professional you would be, I think you would be perfectly coupled with like neighborhood organizations and development groups that are really mm-hmm. like tired of being told what your space is supposed to look like. Right. And more like, this right. is what we want it to be. <laughs> well, you'll notice I, I'm really going more for like the essence of the space. I could care oh, yeah. less what kind of, um, you know, expansion joints we're talking about right now. <laughs> um, dreamy if I just walk into an interview and be like, look, I'm just here to make really pretty pictures, no expansion joints, no door <laughs> schedules, please. So where dreams go to die. <laughs> <laughs> so much. The, the firm that I am hopefully still going to join eventually, they were really taken with my illustration style and they had, they had a need. They have a need where okay. they do a lot of planning as well and they could see how I could plug in that skill and not just be independent trying to do illustration on my own. But that's, that's what I'm back to now because, yeah, nobody's hiring. Right. So, <laughs> it, it, you know, Again, I, I've been. Everyone I've talked to is a professional, and I'm a professional mm-hmm. as well. And mm-hmm. you know, we're all kind of taking in this moment, this this once in a lifetime experience, really. And mm-hmm. we're everyone is evaluating what's important and what's not important to them. Um, could you talk a little bit about what you've learned in, through this? Very. I mean, it's again, it's a short. You know, we're not through the other side of it, so we're going to have much. No many more experiences that are going to shape our, how we, how we are or who we're going to be. What have you learned so far that um, you want to maybe not do again or take forward into the future? Mm-hmm. Oh, this is good. This is actually not my first experience with a um, sort of natural disaster. I, 
I mean, this is definitely my first experience with a pandemic, but um, I went through a 9.1 earthquake in Japan in 2011, and I we were living there. I had a um, my daughter, I was on maternity leave, and I was just, but otherwise I was just living there as a regular resident. I wasn't just traveling, and we ended up staying there four more years after the earthquake. That was the one with the yeah, all-in-one weekend earthquake, tsunami, and Fukushima. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And we were in Tokyo, so we weren't right at the epicenter, but we were only 100 miles from when it ended up being basically another Chernobyl. And there are so many parallels, and I think the parallels come from the not knowing. You know, I can remember trying to quickly understand what what radiation was and what kind of risk was posed to myself and my children and my community by possible radiation exposure and having to learn terms quickly like millisievert, you know, and mm-hmm. like Geiger counter and stuff. And it's like all over again with trying to understand this virus and trying to understand how coming into contact with people, even if they're asymptomatic, could bring exposure. It's like nothing that we were trained in, right? We were trained in, in buildings and building performance. And it, but it's we have to now become like epidemiologists <laughs> and educate ourselves about um, how this changes everything. So the, the frustration of not knowing that is very familiar to me. And um, I've spoken about the experience going through the earthquake uh, at a couple events around Oregon, and I I liken that feeling. You know, people talk about resilience, resilience being like the new sustainability, how to make yourself, how to make your building resilient, how to talk to your clients about resilience. And I often thought that it does, it's not like how many cans of tuna you have or how many, you know, gallons of water per person you have. It's almost like mental resilience is more important. What am I going to do if, you know, like have a plan and... And understand that things can change in a second, you know. (laughs) So what are you going to do when things change in a second? This is testing our resilience for sure. Yeah, and that's that was one of the – you're kind of going towards the direction that I was – my next question (laughs) anyway, which was – and and it's because – and I think I'm asking this question because um, like the first 10 days – of this event, I was panicked. I couldn't get my hands around the problem. I couldn't understand anything. And I was constantly checking stuff and trying to understand what, what does this mean? What does that mean? And, and always mm-hmm. checking the, the, the Johns Hopkins website to see how the numbers were ticking. And, and, and it really, my mental state was like really taking a hit. And, and then finally I settled into whatever like that pattern is that we find ourselves in where it's, it's a normal because it's the normal for this moment. How are right. you, is that kind of how did that earthquake help you find that place faster than you would have if you didn't have that experience? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think so. I mean, the, you know, the, the Japanese as a society, they're, very accustomed to having to sort of remobilize after various disasters, man-made and and natural. So, sort of, I was kind of bearing witness to that with the, you know, community around me. So I sort of felt like a little bit of an outsider, but I also felt privileged to be included in in seeing how they recovered or how they got back up on their feet. And I can tell you, the U.S. You know, don't want to get political, but I. It's a it's a really different thing to witness. Some people like you are like trying to arm themselves with information and going on John Hopkins website or um, you know, just trying to collect information and, and I think some people they don't want to believe that this is going to make a new normal and they're just so eager to get back to what we were doing before this happened. I don't think we're gonna get back to what we were doing before. People are going to be really uncomfortable being in crowds, being in um, stadium, stadia, or you know, in a concert or something for for quite a while. Yeah, I have. I work for a firm that does um, is in the justice sector, but I also have. Uh, I do side work. I have side projects, and most of my projects were kind of situated in hospitality. 
So, uh-huh. so uh, I I'm love gonna, hospitality. It's yeah. Where, it's where you get to have fun as a designer. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, I'm, I'm now I find uh, yesterday, uh, this past week, I finally got to the place where I can say, okay, well, how am I going to, what's the other side of this? How am I going to come out of this thinking mm-hmm. about how restaurants need to work? And, and I'm starting to mm-hmm. like, think about those design ideas. Like how does, how do we, how do we have hospitality anymore? So yeah. it's, it's forcing me to think about that because I think again, like occupying myself with uh, challenges, design challenges to kind of figure out where I need to be on the other side of it is kind of like a, a mm-hmm. way of coping. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I, um, th- I have to tell you, this is, one of the first adult conversations that I've had in about a month, aside from just like talking to the neighbor at a social distance, because we have two children, they are nine and seven. And usually they would be in, you know, school all day and then have some aftercare. And I, you know, my responsibility to them is just evenings and weekends, basically after school and, and having fun with them. But now they're home. And my husband is employed fully, but fortunately working out of our basement. And so I am just helping them with fourth grade math and first grade reading and full-time homeschool. And I, my brain is absolutely starved for (laughs) stimulus, adult architectural design projects, whatever. My husband comes up from, he'll have just gotten off of a call and I'll be like, what was your call about? And he was like, um, it's about uh, egress stair. And I'm like, tell me about the egress stair. <laughs> so he's an architect yeah, as well? He's like, yes, he is. And he's <laughs> like, honey, you got to go back to work somehow. <laughs> so I appreciate you're talking about hospitality and thinking hard about how um, how, how spaces are going to change and, and the needs, I think, are going to change, at least at least for a while. You know, I think I think we're. I put this quote up on Facebook today, and it it does, and it's one I'm gonna kind of carry with me. Um, and it's uh, an Albert Einstein quote, or at least it's attributed to him. Where uh-huh. says, if, if I had an hour to solve a problem, I'd spend the first 55 minutes thinking about the problem, and the next five solving the problem. Uh huh. Makes sense. And, and that's what Perfect I think. Sense. I go, yeah. I think I think a lot of architects are engaged in that's what we that's what we're used to doing yeah marshalling the information gathering as yeah. much information and resources talking to people and then committing yep. to something yeah yeah i didn't even ask where are you based out of i'm out of minneapolis i'm originally from new jersey okay. but i live in minneapolis now got it got it got it i was just there a couple months ago for a oh, really? conference for um AIA, well, I guess it's been more than a few months, September. It was a women's yes. um, leadership conference at the Hyatt downtown there. Yeah, I mean, I'm starting to think, okay, maybe I am going to be at it by myself still for a while. And that's okay. I can still I can still 1099 this <laughs> if I have to. <laughs> and so I'm looking for... Looking for people who need illustrations. Um, oh, these, yeah. Oh, well, when they see your website, I think you're going to get, yeah, this is really nice. Nice work. Thank you. I appreciate that so much. I got to keep at it. You know, it makes me happy. And like you said, thinking about the problem. Yeah. Maybe that's where my strength is. No, I don't have to solve good. everything. <laughs> <laughs> Nikolai, thank you so much uh, for taking the time. Oh, my gosh. Day yeah. To, I really do appreciate Absolutely. it. So, Nikolai was was uh, one of the last ones I think I was doing. I think um, one of the last couple. So I finally started to get some momentum about how to make this conversation go much more easily. And with Nikolai, the conversation was, uh, I didn't have to work too hard because super engaging person, very unique experiences. Um, and uh, as you can hear, I mean, to have somebody go through this particular experience after after the fukushima the the earthquake and tsunami um she was 
she's she was better prepared for this experience than I think anyone we've talked to on the podcast mm-hmm. in the conversation. But she's having a particularly challenging time because, um, as as she noted on the podcast, she was um, slated to start a job just as this was coming on and had to be put off indefinitely. First, it was temporary, then it was indefinitely, but. What she has in experience more than makes up for um, for more than makes up for what I think a lot of people are going through because her skills as an architect, but not just as an architect, but as a as an illustrator, transcend the need to work in an office. I, I told her, you know, um, I think that her skills would be well suited for just about um, any public entity that was um, looking for somebody with that kind of expertise. Um, and I think, you know, what's interesting is that um, I'm, I'm finally back on Twitter. And uh, one of the things I noticed is that, Donna, you're you're actually connected to Nikolai. I have a great Twitter community. I'm connected to so yeah. many architects and designers, and I love it. And I'm always looking to add more. I love it. Her work is really, really great, too. It is. And and you know what? It's interesting because she was kind of like, oh, I just use, I just use, um, she uses a use a SketchUp as a scaffolding to create these very lovely illustrations. And one of the things that you get across in the podcast is my, you know, there's this like, you know, we all have this love-hate relationship with uh, with the computer rendering. I mean, they're very sexy. They're very slick. And man, they are very appealing to us as designers. But the one thing that, that her work does, for me at least, and it's one thing I've always appreciated about uh, this kind of work is that it very much is connected and rooted to a community and a sense of connection with place. Less about the the audacity of the slick and the slickness of, of computer rendering, but more about like what is it, what is this, what is this drawing? How does this drawing represent the community? And her her uh, style is so just easy and very well connects with a constituency which is sorely underrepresented. And and one of the things I, I complimented her on is I think that her work would be better suited for public entities to actually communicate to architects. Mm-hmm. Uh, to you know, because I yeah. think the one we come in there, we barrel in there, we kind of throw our shoulders around and we kind of like say, this is our idea based on what you you this is what you told us and this is our interpretation of what you told us. Well hers is more about actually a, a, a real conversation with a community and expressing what she hears from the community. And it, you know, it seems to be in more of a partnership with that community, uh, with a community response and less about an architect response. Mm. You know, I think that brings up a really good point about, you know, this as, as difficult as this time is, this is a really great opportunity for architects and and everybody out there that's unemployed to really kind of reevaluate what they have been doing looking at the skills and their and their own personal interests and passions and use this time as an opportunity to kind of reinvent yourself and 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 design the next step in in uh, your career and i you know i think that that that's a good point that you bring up that you know that that the work that she's been doing may be better suited to be applied in a, in a different way yeah. And I, you know, I, it was something was, which I thought was interesting, some analysis of like how we as a culture are grasping that we don't need things. And that the, not only is that, you know, obviously retail spending is significantly decreased, but part of what the also, the also, the additional um, added layer on top of that is that the desire to do that has decreased. So, the question then begs, what does this look like on the other side? Are we going to be more connected and rooted to things that are not immediately self-gratifying in the moment, but for the long term? Mm. Because one of the best things that's come out of this for me is working and at the same time being able to listen to lectures. The virtual stuff is remarkable. I'm glad you I'm glad you aggregated that, Paul, um, because that's one of the biggest things I've that has brought me back to what's beautiful about lectures and design is to hear great ideas. And one of the thoughts I uh, was was watching this one lecture uh, from this um, this uh, head of this firm uh, agency agency today, and just you know thinking about we are wearing these masks for self protection, but at the same time it's a social compact that we're making with each other. And you can see who, by and large, most people are engaged in that social compact when you and those who are are not engaged in that are for the most part the people that won't 
be thinking about how do we come out of this on the other side better. Right. They're thinking about themselves in the moment, right? They're like, there's their freedom. They're talking about this idea of freedom. But when I'm walking around, I've seen people like actively engaged in wearing masks. Now I'm not talking about outside because I don't, I don't wear my mask when I'm walking my dog. I'm not, I, I'm not, I'm, I don't have that need to, because I understand, you know, talking with, with Linda that how this, how this, how this virus works and how it's really about duration and contagion, how those things are together and how, how long that occurs. So I'm thinking about like, can we, can we think about the future and, and climate change differently? And I'm like, well, this is proving that we can collectively take action to foster a better world. We can come out of the other. So I'm wondering, is that, is that possible? And I think it is based on how people are really thinking about, you know, this, this uh, compact that we're making with each other. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a very interesting perspective. Uh, Yeah. And I, I do think that to go back to the very beginning of what you said about Nikolai's skills being valuable anywhere, I think that this, like the last big recession in 2008, is going to require a lot of people to think about different ways of making a living, right? Like require architects or architecture adjacent people to think about different ways of using their skills. And I, I just think it's kind of a, sh- a shakeup that, yeah, like you said, we hopefully it becomes an opportunity to discover something new or to do something new that you enjoy, but you might not have a choice on having to be nimble and <laughs> find something, you know, something else to do with your skills, unfortunately. So let's move on to our next conversation. This was a conversation I had with a man named Charles Pfeiffer. He is an architect and he also teaches architectural ethics at the University of Arizona in Tucson. So let's go ahead and listen to that. Okay, so my name is Charles Piper. I'm a senior architect working at a small architecture firm here in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, we do a lot of institutional work. And one of the uh, big projects that we're counting on in the kind of the latter part of this year, uh, we just got a notification that they're going to continue the design process through probably the end of schematic design for about another three months. And then they're going to reassess the project at that time. Do you know if that's related to the to the quarantine or the stay at home orders, or is it is it a financial decision? Uh, yes, yeah, so it's definitely a financial decision. The university has been potentially hit very hard by the situation yeah. because a lot of their attendants are out of state or out of country students, and those numbers have plummeted. Uh huh. Yeah, I've been hearing that that universities are are struggling quite a bit from this from this experience. So yeah, I'm also, I, I do, I teach at the university as well. Um, and I don't know if you want to talk about that at all, but that experience that the students are having has been pretty rough too. I, I, yeah, I'd love to hear more about what you're, what you're seeing there. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I teach architectural ethics and practice at the university and we've had to switch to an entirely online, uh, strategy. It's not exactly distance learning. It's called, uh, remote teaching. It's a brand new, typology of uh, teaching that has been developed specifically related to the COVID isolation. And it's been a real challenge to convert all of our material into a format that can be absorbed in an online format. What has been the biggest challenge that you've, that you've seen in that area? Well, actually, the university was pretty well set up. They had a lot of technology at our fingertips. Just losing that in-person connection, I think, is a, a big part of it. And also, the students, uh, many of them have had to leave back to home, and that may be a different country. It may be a different state. Their situation is very poor, so it's hard for them to focus. So I'd say actually probably just the the worry on the minds of the students is actually probably the biggest challenge. So psychological impact. I'm sure a lot of these students are probably quite young, and, and they, they're living on their own, far away from their family. That's I mean, right. I'm sure that you, you probably had to take, take on a little bit of a, a therapist role during this process. Yeah, a little bit. Um, I'm kind of, I'm the uh, architectural ethics and practice teacher. So kind of the one practice voice that they may hear, uh, or at least the, the, the strongest. So my lectures covering recessions and uh, some of these other issues that are now kind of at the front of mind for everyone. I, I, I guess, I hope we're able to deliver them a little bit of information about what happened in 2008 and, you know, 10 years before that and kind of show them that this might be a serious situation that they need to pay attention to. Are you already anticipating any big changes at the university 
They are, yes. They're they're trying to determine whether or not they can hold classes in person in the fall. And it looks like they may try to split the semester into two pieces with students attending virtually for the first half and then in person for the second half. But I think that the the attendance numbers, the enrollment, excuse me, numbers being way down have the potential to cause some pretty significant budget cuts. And they're already talking about not renewing contracts and everything. And that that's directly related to this. And it probably doesn't really matter even if, you know, the economy starts back up, some of this is going to have a longer lag, I think, specific for the university than in other industries, even in Absolutely. kind of a scenario. Yeah, I think this situation in particular is is one big difference between the last recession in 2008 when, when uh, academic institutions thrived because a lot of people yep. were out of work and were returning to school to get, you know, graduate degrees. But it seems like schools are getting hit equally as hard as businesses during this crisis. Yeah, and it's, it's going to be a huge challenge because you are, by definition, packing a lot of people into a small area. So even if there are, you know, increased testing and reporting that people are able to do, you know, to go back and work at your small office, that will work great. But I can see a lot of fear potentially for people coming back and sitting in a 200-student classroom. So what has been your your experience with uh, professionally? Are, are you, is, is your office seeing any layoffs or furloughs or pay cuts? Uh, no, not at this time. There haven't been any pay cuts yet. Mm-hmm. Majority of our projects are in construction. So our big fear is that some of the, the projects that are in construction may start to get shut down as a result of this. It hasn't happened yet. Our contractors have put into place uh, some draconian measures you know, multiple temperature screenings per day, total lockdown of the site uh, perimeter so that people can't come or go without going through their checkpoints in order to try and prevent, you know, a single infection on a job site might be enough to shut it down for two weeks. And so they're doing everything they can to stop that. But if, you know, a lot of our jobs in construction got shut down, that would start to have an economic impact pretty quickly. Absolutely. Um, So the transition to uh, remote working for your office, was that relatively seamless for you guys? Yeah, I serve as the kind of the de facto IT person for the office. And it's actually been pretty seamless. A lot of us worked remotely some percentage of the time already. Uh, We did have to purchase some new equipment and technology for some folks who were not set up for it. But I think that's going reasonably well from a technology standpoint. But the time sharing and uh, watching the kids half time has been a real drag on productivity for sure. And our office, actually, everyone works hourly. So I've seen a huge pay cut just as a result of not being able to work as much. But the work is still there for me to do if I were able to do it. Yeah. You've got, you've got a, a couple kids? Yeah. So I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. Oh wow! I, I have uh, I have kids a little older that can you know fortunately be much more responsible throughout the day. But even even with older kids, it's I I, I know how hard it is to juggle getting work done with with kids in the background. But yeah, uh, one and three years yep. old that's 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 a lot of work for you. Yeah, it's brutal. And my wife works um, as a teacher actually, so she now has to teach remote as well. So we're juggling you know my full time architecture job the university job that I have and her job and now watching the kids all kind of in a a single day. It's been a real kind of hardship for us, but uh, I think that we're kind of starting to get into a groove on it a little bit more. Wow. Yeah, that is a lot. And uh, kudos to your wife because, you know, I'm seeing what teachers are going through right now and it's not easy. Yeah. Um, Thank thank you so much for for sharing your your insights. Really, really helpful, valuable information from from this perspective as both an educator and a and a uh, professional working in the field. Awesome. Thanks so much. It was great to talk to you. And uh, thank you so All much. Right. Really appreciate thank it. Thank you. I enjoyed listening to Charles speak, and in part, it took me back to Tucson because Tucson University of Arizona is where I got my undergraduate degree. So it made me think of Tucson, but also the fact that he was, is teaching ethics and practice right now at the university, which is what I did during the last recession. At, in 2008, I taught ethics and practice in the at Ball State University here in Muncie, Indiana. And um, so I enjoyed listening to him and just thinking about U of A and whatnot. Then after listening to it, I went and looked him up to just see what firm he worked at. And it turns out he works at Poster. Well, it used to be Poster Frost Miro. I think it's changed by now. But he works for Corky Poster, Charles Poster, who was 
seriously one of, if not the favorite professor of mine back when I was at University of Arizona. And and Corky is long since retired, but he always practiced when he taught and his firm is still going. And um, he taught me so much about how to be an ethical architect that I just was thrilled to realize that connection that that Charles is uh, teaching ethics and practice in the same school and is an employee of, of, of Corky Poster. So the one thing I can say about Corky Poster's firm is that I am certain that they are an ethical firm. And and Charles mentioned that they had, you know, some jobs had slowed down or had had stopped. And at the moment, there hadn't been furloughs. And I, I just have absolute faith that Corky Poster will t- treat his employees and the firm will treat their employees well and take care of them to the best of their ability, because that's the kind of person and the kind of architect that the founder of the firm is. It was great to have that connection. But the other thing that concerned me about Charles's interview was talking about the university. And, you know, you interviewed him. It's been three or four weeks now, right, since you did these interviews. Well, now we're seeing even more universities say that they're going to be closed for an indefinite amount of time. And some are saying they won't be open until fall of 2021. So we're looking at a whole, potentially a whole year of students doing learning online or, you know, not going into the studio, not going to the school. And to me, I am all for keeping things locked down, but I have a really hard time accepting the idea of being an architecture student for 18 months, especially if you're a beginning freshman, not being in a studio building with other architects. And there is a thread on Architect somewhat about this right now. I think it's a thread about a school announcing that it's not opening. And and I pose the question in that thread that, you know, I, I would be tempted to just say, and I, to say, I, I'm going to take a year off. I'm going to take a gap year. I'm going to do something else because I, and maybe I'm just an old school person, an old lady thinking this way, but I just have a really hard time adjusting to the idea of architecture studio, especially being an online course for a long time. So Charles talking about how U of A hasn't quite, you know, they haven't quite made the decision yet. He doesn't know. They had to shift suddenly to remote learning. It just makes me very nervous. Another comment on that thread that's on Archonnect that someone said is that in a lot of ways, the universities can stand to make a whole lot more money by not keeping their facilities open, but still charging tuition. So I can't help but wonder if there isn't a bit of an economic um, concern there as well. So I'm worried about students. I'm worried about the, the future of our architecture students, especially the ones just starting out this year in our discipline. Yeah, that's what made me most nervous about Charles's interview. What about you guys? Well, I thought it was it was great that we were able to talk with somebody actively involved in uh, architectural education and get that input because, you know, that's one one area that really distinguishes this recession from the previous recession. The previous recession, schools were doing great. Everybody was going back to school. This time, the schools are put in a very difficult position. I, I'm not talking about tuition-wise. Tuition-wise, they might be they might be okay. They might not. I've, I've been talking to you know friends that teach that are expecting major drops in in enrollment because the schools they teach at rely on a lot of overseas students and the United the United States is not looking too desirable right now, <laughs> you know, for people. Yeah. So, and then on top of that, you know, why? travel across the world when the situation is, when, when the future is so uncertain in terms of attending in person or, you know, why spend all that money if you're just going to be studying online? And I totally agree with you, Donna. Architecture is not the kind of thing that you can effectively learn entirely online, but I'm sure, you know, people will get much better at that. Donna, I mean, would it be possible to somehow summarize like what architectural ethics, uh, studying architectural ethics, uh, was like. It's not something that I had ever studied in school. There's a great book, and maybe I can put it in the show notes that I can't remember now who it's by. It's basically a, a book on ethics for architects, and it just presents like 20 cases of, okay, you're hired by a firm, and it turns out that they are, you know, they're they're getting their land for their building through a process that is counter to the, you know, the public good, or, you know, what do you do in that situation? I mean, when I taught professional practice, my co-teacher, Wes Jans, and I just tended to focus on the ethics of practice quite a bit. And like I said, when I learned from from Corky Poster back at University of Arizona, the, the notion of, of, to me, of being an ethical architect is that you're not only working for your client, that the whole world really is your client. I mean, yes, there are situations maybe where you're doing something that's a completely private 
<laughs> project that would have no impact on the environmental or social or cultural, you know, surrounding context surrounding it. But the thing I learned from Corky Poster back at U of A was that that we are our practice is within the public, that the buildings that we do don't only affect the people who own them and commission them, but affect the entire everything from the, you know, where the sidewalk hits the building out to the greater city and and region. I mean, we we were at school in Arizona, so environmental ethics was actually huge because the desert has no water. So even back in the 80s, we were learning about how do you design in a way that uses, you know, that doesn't use water indiscriminately because there isn't much. So I would tie all of that into what architectural ethics of practice is, is how do you as a practicing architect make the world not only a beautiful building for your client, but make it a better place for the greater community as well. Sounds kind of trite, but I I deeply, deeply, deeply believe it. So... And I think I can, I mean, I don't know if that, if that studying that affected you, but you've always, uh, it left me with the impression that ethics are high up on, on your own, you know, list of priorities, just in, in the way that I've, you know, in, in my discussions with you and the way that I've seen you behave with, uh, with, you know, colleagues and, and others in the industry. Thanks. I don't think it's trite though. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, it, it's, it's part of the, you know, part of the beauty of something being trite is that it becomes trite because it is so truthful and, and it just gets used over and over again. But yeah, it's, it's true to me. It's deeply true. No, I think the, I think the, the challenging part is, is that the academic piece makes sense, right? It, it's something that it just, for me, I can't imagine, I, I don't even, I don't even think the private, I don't think there is anything as a, anything, I don't think there exists private architecture. Right. When you mean private, you mean like disconnected from like all utilities, yeah. disconnected in such a way. I mean, fucking an island. Yeah. Okay, great. Fine. That That's private. But if you're in the contiguous United States, you don't have private. Yeah. And if you purchase any material to build a building, the purchase of that, the procurement of that material has downstream or is it upstream effects on how it was harvested, where it was harvested, who did the harvesting. Yeah. It's all a political act. Every single bit of it. Yeah. <laughs> every, every single bit of it. And the idea that the, you know, the, the bootstrapping idea, this whole bullshit about, you know, that that's, that goes around about, um, this, um, rugged individualist. It's, it's a, it's a fiction. It's, a fiction. it's built on a rudimentary understanding of like who you are as an individual. Yeah, you occupy your body. That's your body. That's your individual. <laughs> That's the only individuality that you have. But from this, from outside of the the clothes you wear to everything else, you are a public entity. Yeah. <laughs> it's really hard to yeah to remove yourself to be an island. It truly is incredibly challenging and difficult for anyone to truly be an right. island. So, but the problem with ethics in architecture is that it interfaces with the profession. <laughs> And that's where the that's where it becomes problematic, and that's where my you know my axe grinding that gets screechy at times <laughs> and is is fomenting at the mouth between our professional entity and us as architects. They don't seem to ever they the pay the lip service that gets paid to ethics. Yeah. The the triteness is within the professional yeah. body itself yeah. because we if we had any real professional if we had any real ethics, there wouldn't be this need for private individuals and corporations to shop around for the one architect who doesn't have an ethical backbone. Right. Exactly. Because the profession has no backbone. (laughs) I have said for years now, and I've said it on Arconnect many times, that if we had an ethical new deal, we would not need a green new deal. Because the, yeah. the the ethics are are the the green is in, entirely encompassed within the ethics. So if we're going to be as a as a discipline as a profession, if we're going to be about sustainability, we need to to walk that walk, and that means not you know yeah, it means not greenwashing. It means doing it doing it right in the way that is good for all of humanity and the planet that humanity exists on. And, you know, they, I think the AIA, it was on the web, it's on the website. The AI just posted some new bill of rights of architecture or some bullshit like that or something like that. And like fifth down in the, in the, in the bullet points was like, you know, equity. Yeah. And I'm like, we, we can't have a conversation if equity isn't at the top mm-hmm. of the list. We cannot begin to address all of the other issues until we get the elephant in the room in front of us instead of behind us. 
And they always, this professional body always seemingly wants to do that. And that's why I was, you know, it seems like these conversations that we're having in between these other conversations that Paul and I have had are disconnected, but they're rooted there. These are, these two topics are threaded together. I mean, these two conversations that we had before, you know, community, connection, like how do we move forward into the future? It, we cannot move forward as a, as a profession. We can't move forward as a, as a discipline, as an education, as a pedagogy, if we cannot reject the things that happened pre-2020 and move on to a different paradigm. We just can't. Totally agree. This can't totally exist. Totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> if we go back and repeat those things that we did in, in December 31st of 2019, and we think that they're going to be solving the problems of 2021, yep. the profession should burn <laughs> to the ground. I'm going to try to be optimistic that we are we are going to do better. We're going to be better. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. With a cudgel... <laughs> With a cudgel and a hammer. <laughs> is that a, is a cudgel and a hammer? Keep beating us. Hammer You're going to keep chisel. beating us until morale improves, right, Ken? <laughs> Either someone's going to shut me up and just say, okay, fine, you run the stupid. You, okay, you think you know so much, you be the president. I, that, I, I, I wouldn't. I, <laughs> Sorry. Okay. I'm getting very funny images in my head right now of you, uh, of you in D.C. taking on Robert Ivey, but... <laughs> Let's uh, let's move on to to our last our last uh, interview. I just have one final comment before we move on. Corky Poster is a is a pretty awesome name. Yeah, Charles. Yes. His name's Charles, but he goes. He's always gone by Corky. Yeah, it's a, and that's uh, a, he's an awesome name and an awesome human being. I am deeply indebted to him. Well, we'll we'll link to his yeah. firm from the from the show notes. All right. So moving on to our last conversation for this episode, this conversation was with a, an, a sole proprietor, an architect uh, based out of La Mesa, California, which is kind of uh, near San Diego in Southern California. Her name's uh, Michelle Grace Hoddle. And uh, she, she's dealing with uh, a lot of challenges right now, as you'll, as you'll hear. I'm Michelle Grace Hoddle. I'm located in La Mesa, California, which is the first incorporated city east of San Diego. So we're in the San Diego area. Um, I'm a sole practitioner. I have been for the last 25 years, ever since uh, I gave birth to our daughter. Um, I'm primarily working from the home. I have for years now, uh, except that, you know, we have three adult children and, um, that are all still living in the house. So the two younger ones are in college and they're, they're remote learning. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Are all of your adult children back at home with you guys? Yes, they are. Well, the older one, she's, she graduated from college four years ago. So she's been back. She's working full time. She's working in a care facility. She has a degree in social work. Yes. So she's working in in a care facility that's on lockdown, but she comes home every night, obviously. And then Uh my husband is in a care facility because he had a stroke a few years ago. So, you know, he's also an architect, so he's in lockdown. So we're adding on to the house. And um, in order to bring him home, kind of in the middle of all of this, you know, um, and I'm working out of the home also. So um, I've... Yeah, that's a lot. That's that's a lot. Yeah, especially as a sole practitioner, I can't imagine how much you're dealing with right now. Where to start? I mean, uh, is <laughs> is your family healthy? I think that's probably the most important right now. Uh, there, nobody has has contracted the virus. Um, no, not that we not that we know of. I mean, we seem to be healthy. You know, we we bought a thermometer. We bought one thermometer, and then you know because. Because we figured, well, we should have one. And then we bought another thermometer last night that I found. You know, that's that's a digital one, and we seem, you know, we seem to be fine with with that. And you know, we don't we don't seem to have any um, you know health problems. Um, we're pretty healthy um, in general. But but you know, I mean, I'm 55. We've weathered. You know, obviously, we've we've been through. The sessions before both being architects and being 55, you know, my advice to people is, you know, just kind of prepare yourself and go lean. I know I read, I wrote an article for, uh, for AIA Cran 
I don't know, probably five years ago that kind of like talked about necessity of really kind of tearing down if you're, if you're a parent and you're working out of the house and, um, it was rejected for, <laughs> for probably, maybe it was just too, I don't know, too realistic or something for, for, uh, for architects. But, um, oh, so it was never published. It was never published. I, mm. yeah, it was never published. It was basically just telling Okay. Okay. I will. I'll send it to you. <laughs> Were you a yeah. practitioner back when, uh, during the last Great Recession in 2008-2009? Yes. I've been a sole practitioner since 1994. Wow. So how does this economic crisis, I mean, of the two crises that we're going through right now, how does the economic crisis feel compared to the previous recessions that you've experienced as a sole practitioner? Um, you know, a few years ago, we had a virtual happy hour and the, um, and one of the people that was on the virtual happy hour said, oh, this isn't, you know, um, a couple of us were talking about, you know, obviously people were worried about, you know, about losing their jobs. And then one of the people on the call said, well, this isn't an economic crisis. This is, this is a health crisis. And I said, well, it, I mean, it's going to be the same thing. I mean, shutting down the economy this much for this many days is not, you know, that's, that's an economic crisis. I mean, we, you know, we can, I mean, we have to do it, right? Because, you know, if there's, you know, if there's people that have an illness, we can't think that there's not going to be anything happening from that also. There's not ramifications you know, for the economy with that also. But, um, and I think that there's probably more fear involved in this because people don't know, you know, are we going to get sick and then are we not going to have a job also? So I think, you know, I think that's probably the difference in, you know, or, or, you know, as far as, um, and, and I think, you know, I mean, I had a client that, you know, that I was, um, a potential client that I was talking with and she you know, even before everything shut down, you know, she lost all of her construction budget with in the stock market. So, you know, she she basically wasn't gonna be able to do her project because of that. And then that was even before, you know, we shut down everything. So Yeah, there were you know, definitely there were indicators of, uh, I mean, we've been due for a recession. You know, recessions typically come in uh, 12-year cycles based on yes. historical data. You know, yes. these are not normal normal times we're living in. So people uh-huh. are wondering if it, were, you know, if, 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 if it may have been pushed back. But we are, I mean, this could just be uh, kickstarting the inevitable in terms of, of how the economy is reacting. But uh, clearly, the the, uh, the quarantine and the, the the shutdown has made a huge impact. How do you feel about your work going forward and kind of getting through this? What are what are some of the lessons that you've taken from previous recessions that you're going to be kind of putting forth right now to to get through this? You know, I hate to. I mean, <laughs> I hate to say it, but you know, just just trying to live lean, and I know that that's really difficult for us on the on the West Coast. But if you can put off, you know, if you can work out of the home. I know a lot of people have to anyway, but even like moving forward, if you can kind of pare down as far as uh, leases, I know some people have leases, you know, for architecture offices that are, that are like exorbitantly high. So I would say, you know, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I worked out of the home. I mean, initially I said like, okay, I'm going to, the next, you know, it's like I did pay rent. I mean, we were in Venice Beach for 10 years, so I paid rent studio space that wasn't that far away from, you know, Abbott Kinney and the beach. And I decided after, pardon me? What street were you on? Westminster. Yeah. So we were, um, you know, I had an office space there and then they doubled the rent. They gave me 30 days notice and doubled the rent. And I had just given birth to our second child. So I just figured, you know what, I'm not spending that much time here. And one of my other, I was renting space for another person and they were buying a house. So I just decided, you know what, I'm not going to. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to move back to the house because I'm spending more time there anyway with, with the kids. And I know, you know, it, it's difficult working with kids out of the house. And I'm not going to say that, you know, that I didn't, you know, I was working till 2 a.m. a lot of the times, right? And then waking up at, you know, around 7 or 8, you know, to get work done. Um, 
tag teaming with my husband who was working during the day for an office all the time. So working out of the house, this is not, this is not new to you at all. Have you found there to be, uh, any, any challenges with you as everybody is now working remotely, you know, dealing with, with clients or, or other architects? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, when I was younger and I used to talk to people, I would go in to the bathroom. (laughs) Uh (laughs) and sometimes be holding the door (laughs) um you know with with younger kids i mean now you know my my big thing is that i know that their classes are you know and it's like i don't want to be helicopter mom right because they're 19 and 21 so they should be doing this on their own but just same token i'm like okay are you dressed like just please make sure you're dressed if it's a zoom call you know you're not in your I don't care if you're in your bed, but you know, if you've got it on and you know, my kids have already said, they're like, Oh, we don't turn the camera on, you know, or we just mute things, you know, especially because they have, they actually have a class with uh, one of them has a class with one of my friends and, you know, fellow moms who's an artist. So she's teaching one of their art classes. And, you know, I heard her, it was after nine and I knew his class started at nine and then, you know, and then I said, are you in class? And, you know, I could hear her say, you know, um, are you, are you from your phone? Are you on your phone or are you from your laptop? Right. Because she wanted to at least see them or check in with them to make sure. That yeah. Um, yeah. And then as far as that, you know, I've been keeping in contact with clients. I'm, I'm still going to the job site, you know, it's like, um, you know, typically when nobody's there, I'm still having work done on my house. And, you know, our city is still open and they're still doing inspections. They're just on a, you know, kind of a leaner schedule. And then, you know, just uh, designing things that here and then just kind of showing them, you know, sending them an email about the different designs and then following up with people as far as people that were potential clients. You know, just kind of keeping in contact with them. What markets do you specialize in? Custom residential. You know, though I do have I do have a physical therapy clinic that I was the um, I'm the architect of record for in Pasadena right now. But they they've decided not to do the construction because it was an elimination and um, remodel and tenant improvement of some things that they wanted to um, they wanted to. Uh, um, you know, they, they really can't do what they wanted to do right now because of the elimination of some things that they, you know, some some items that they think might be needed. So it's just mm-hmm. as far as the separation. You know, I mean, they wanted to eliminate some bathrooms that were in the space, and now they're thinking, hey, we need those bathrooms in the space. You know, we don't want people to be going out and using the regular bathroom. Have you sensed any any hesitation from your clients in terms of kind of financial concerns with, with the current state of the economy? Um, the people that I've been working with, you know, a lot of them it's it's um it's not so much that they that they have to add on to their house. It's more that they wanted to add on to their house. So um so those people have kind of said, okay, let's kind of see where it goes. I mean, some other people that were planning on doing some speculative residential work are just kind of, you know, they just want to kind of see where we are in a couple months. And then there are some people that, well, even before this, I mean, some, some people were saying that, you know, their clients, you know, and these were like contractors were saying that, that some people like had decided not to build right now. You know, and they kind of wanted to see where the market was going to be before they decided to do anything. So I think that's what a lot of people wanted to do before this. Um, so far, your work has been able to to resume and continue. Yeah. The people that I have that are, I mean, there's one project that's about to go into construction. And then we're finishing up a couple other projects and we're still moving forward with those. Um, there's one that's about to start construction. And they still want to start construction. Um, and then there's another project where we're in, we're getting a variance for it, which I'm also planning commissioners. So I don't know exactly what, how we're going to do these, these meetings now. Um, city council just decided to do a virtual meeting. So I, maybe that's what we're going to be doing now as far as these virtual meetings for planning commission also. But one of my projects is going into the planning commission. 
asynchronous awareness. So we're going to be, you know, we're in the process of doing that. And those clients still, you know, when for the catcher's dwelling unit on top of, you know, a new garage and workshop for them. So they still, you know, they told me like, oh, we still have our jobs and we still are committed to you to go forward with the work. So That's with the, the city, the city of uh, La Mesa? Yes, that's with the city of La Mesa, and that's with yeah. um, clients that are in the city of La Mesa, and they don't work for the city of La Mesa. They're, they're in other careers, but they've, they've said that they still want to go forward with the work. Well, that's great. So you, you balance your, your time between your, your practice and your position of uh, planning commissioner? Yeah, the planning commissioner in the city of La Mesa, I mean, it's, it's a very... We're a small city, so I mean, we typically meet twice a month, and we we typically don't. We probably we probably meet once, you know, average once a month or something. But yeah, we're we're not that busy. We've been doing a lot of medical marijuana dispensaries, so that's what's been on the agenda the past you know year: just conditional use permits for these medical marijuana dispensaries. Well, that business is doing well right now. And you know, um, it's funny because uh, one of our friends said, like, why do architects always want kind of this side business? And, and they said, well, I don't know, I guess they were always looking for, you know, like, well, what if another recession has? So, you know, there's been people that um, are even here in La Mesa that have, you know, their architects that have gone into the um, brewing um, businesses. You know, there's a couple of breweries in town that are owned by architects. So I feel that, that you know, I mean, they're probably happy to have their their side business right there. Yeah, yeah, you never know. Maybe uh dispensaries will be the next big uh typology for architects to be working on for 2020, 2021. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your perspective from where you are. I really appreciate it. And I, I wish you the the best of luck with everything going forward with, with the health of your family and and, uh, and yourself and your business. And please keep us updated. Okay. Thank you so much, Paul. Thank you very much. All right. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think her story really kind of puts things in a perspective. I know that this time is really hard for all of us, but and dealing with a, uh, you know, I, I really feel for her. She, with her husband who recently had a massive stroke and is having to go through this time in a, uh, in an assisted living facility, as well as having an adult daughter that works in an assisted living facility with her adult children back at home and her practice, you know, facing the kind of uh, potential economic uh, disaster that, you know, all of these small businesses around the country are facing. I really respect her, her, her tone and her optimism. You know, she's, she's going through a lot of difficult challenges right now. Yeah. And I think if I recall from all the conversations, the most senior architect that we actually talked to. Is she? I think, right, Paul? I mean, well, she, I, I don't know if, I think that there were a few people we spoke with that were kind of um, that had the same level of experience. She's had her own firm for 25 years. So, you know, so she is she's a she's a highly experienced architect who, you know, as a sole proprietor is in that that, uh, you know, she's hustling all the time. It's uh, it's it's not an easy thing running a business on your own, especially during a time like this. And on top of that, you know, having such a uh, an unfortunate health issue with her husband, who is also a fellow architect who has not been able to work, you know, and as a result, they've, they've been having to go through a, a renovating their house throughout this process to accommodate the wheelchair that her husband will be in. So, I mean, there's just so many different things that that uh, so many challenges that she's going through. So it's it was really nice to talk to her. She uh, and and I'm I'm I really respect how how optimistic and and positive she she sounded in light of everything that she's dealing with. Not only is she extremely experienced in terms of architecture, she also has a clothing line. I don't know if you guys know this, and I have not yet ordered the underwear off of them, but she's got these great underwear that say, I've never met a woman architect before, and these onesies for kids that say, my mom is an archimom. They're really cool. So if you follow her on Twitter, which Michelle and I follow each other on Twitter, you can find a link to her clothing, and it's awesome. And yeah, she's, uh, she's amazing and super multi multi-faceted and talented and especially in the face of all these um 
these health challenges. Yeah. She's incredible. Her her actual her blog is, is also titled "I've Never Met right, a Woman Architect Before," so we'll we'll make sure to uh, to put links to her clothing line and her blog in the show notes. So check check that out if you're just listening to this today. All right. Well, I think that that wraps up our this third installment. There's three more on the way. Hope you've been enjoying this and you know getting a lot out of just hearing hearing the stories behind our our fellow. Uh, architecture community members. I know times times are changing quickly. Uh, these conversations were recorded about three weeks ago. So many of these situations may have changed already. And, you know, we're also open to hearing more stories. If, if there's anybody out there that has anything that they'd especially like to share with the community, uh, give us a shout. Send us an email to connect at rconnect.com or hit us up on Twitter with hashtag rconnectsessions or at uh, Twitter account, Arc Sessions. Thanks to everyone out there listening, and we hope you are all doing well through these strange days. And uh, we will be releasing episode four in the coming days. So stay tuned for that. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon.